It takes more than great code to be a great engineer. This is Soft Skills Engineering, episode 71. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software developers as well as squash soup. <laughs> so that's what you're having for lunch. That is correct. I am so creative. <laughs> I, am, I am creative and you are just a great detective. Yeah, we make a good team. <laughs> Uh, is 71 a milestone of any kind? Is it prime? I feel, I don't, it feels prime. It feels pretty prime. It's not even, so it's yeah. prime. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the algorithm works. Boy, 50, we 50. could, we have a thing or two to teach mathematicians about oh, yeah. finding prime numbers. Oh, it's so easy. Listen, you guys are like crunching away on these giant supercomputers. Just why? Look at the least significant Just look at the bit. last... <laughs> If yeah, it's a one, it's, it's fine. prime. <laughs> <laughs> That's called Dave Prime. That's right. It's a Dave Prime. <laughs> uh, maybe in dog years, this is like an auspicious age to reach or something. Yeah, it's I don't like know. Triple, Anyways. <laughs> triple a dog life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we have a bad interview experience. This one languished in our queue for a while, uh, but we finally got to it. And I think it's hilarious, so I'm going to read it. All right. Right out of graduate school, I was in the process of interviewing and got through two phone interviews to the, get to the final in-person interview at a location-based startup. The office was mostly sales, but it also had a small dev team. The in-house recruiter gave me the rough itinerary two days before, get there at eight, have an hour or have a four-hour long interview with the team, and then possibly a short coding quiz. Um, I get to the office 20 minutes early, but have to wait 45 minutes more for my first round of interviews because the internal meeting went over. The recruiter apologized to me and asked me if I wanted breakfast. I said, I'll take something small like a bagel. And she said, okay, and then disappeared never to be seen again. (laughs) (laughs) I got through the culture interviews just fine, though I thought it was a bit odd that several of my interviewers brought in their catered breakfast and lunch into the room, but never offered me some. And I had to go find my recruiter so I could get a cup of water between the interviews. This is all... I just assume this is hazing at this point. <laughs> they were like, look, you the need final- to be, this is like surgery. You need to be fasting when you come to the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do they do that in surgery? Yeah, you can't eat like 24 hours before the surgery or something. Oh, before the, oh, I thought you were saying like surgeons get interviewed <laughs> no. while they're, like, what? Is that to test their metal somehow? <laughs> I believe it. Those people are usually pretty hardcore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, it's yeah it's because the coding quiz they give you would make you throw up maybe yeah exactly it might empty your stomach <laughs> <laughs> when you see our interview process you're gonna want to have nothing in your digestive system <laughs> <laughs> the okay the final interview was with who would have been my boss the senior engineering lead she asked me the normal bank of engineering questions and then let me ask anything She also sent me some vibes that the engineering team isn't really respected and that as a junior, I'd be expected to put in overtime and be on call on weekends without comp time and without being able to say when I would be on call. Then I got some seemingly weird questions. Do I work well with loud noises? What? How noise canceling are my headphones usually? (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. She then asked me if I was ready for the live coding exercise. I responded with, I was told this was a written test. She rolled her eyes and ranted for 10 minutes about how the recruiters never pay attention to the engineering team's process. Also, they don't bring you food when they offer it to you. (laughs) Yeah, these are your recruiters actually like sneaky gnomes who are just trolling people. (laughs) They're just like little, little fake creatures who are like, we said we'd get him a bagel and we didn't. (laughs) 
prank has been successful. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I asked to postpone the exercise uh, as I just went through four hours of interviews and hadn't eaten anything. They could not postpone because they had to make a decision with, within 48 hours so that they could onboard someone at the beginning of a sprint. <laughs> oh, boy. As a jobless person, I acquiesced and started working. I was brought to her desk and handed a 13-inch IBM ThinkPad, a piece of paper with half a page of marketing copy on it, another piece of paper that was a grading rubric and a pen. I was given 90 minutes to code a design that I could find in a PNG on the desktop. The laptop had no internet connection. The only software it had on it was Notepad++. Uh, and the marketing copy on the piece of paper was the stuff I was supposed to type into my markup. What? Without a color picker or a, a PSD to get font sizes or accurate margin padding and no internet to check why some of my CSS was broken, <sighs> I was coding pretty blind. Uh, to top it all off, I didn't have any noise-canceling headphones and the sales team hit a large <laughs> gong every time oh. a sale was made <laughs> and was blaring really bad hip-hop to get hyped up to make more sales. Oh my it gosh. all makes sense oh my now. Gosh. <laughs> you could just hear like the chest bumps as they like bro down in the other room oh yeah bro and then you hear the the smack of chests hitting each other in a big gong <laughs> yeah i got about 30 percent of the design done by the end of the time allotted um but i hadn't done it that well based on the rubric i had failed anyway the engineering lead took me into the recruiter's office so I could wrap up the day, but the recruiter had left early and nobody knew where she was. <laughs> so I was <laughs> escorted to the front door by the receptionist and left. Another gnome trick. I didn't hear back from them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that sounds so good in so many ways. Um, <laughs> I I don't know. I, I just love the detail of asking how noise canceling your headphones are. And then in the coding quiz, you're like, oh, that's why they asked that question. Hey, I mean, at least it was representative, right? Like, it's like, yeah. this is how you will work. So if you can't work this way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my. so gosh. maybe it really I mean, it sounds like they thought you failed the interview, but also you dodged a huge bullet there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you have the, you now have a gem. You have a story you can tell forever. Yeah, yeah. Developers love to like throw down about. No, my interview was the worst, but <laughs> I think you you score pretty high. Yeah, this is hard to top. Yeah. So, how well do um, you write code in loud, noisy environments? <laughs> no, it's like like really. How good are your noise canceling headphones? <laughs> <laughs> There's like foghorns <laughs> under all the desks that go off. Uh, your desk is here behind the 747 jet engine. <laughs> we turn it on every 10 minutes to make. <laughs> oh my gosh. Just keep people on their toes. Well, good thing you didn't <sighs> get that job. <laughs> um, should we read our first question? Yes, we should. Or are, you, are you just like marinating still oh, in the story? It was so good. Yeah. So <laughs> I oh, they made you type in just by hand like a page of printed text. Uh it's great. Oh man. How are your typing skills? Let's find out. I'm you've seen Men in Black, right? Uh yes. All three of them. You know that part where they take at the first one where they make them do a test and they're in these like weird egg shaped chairs that don't really have a place to like put yeah. your paper? <laughs> Yeah. And their pencils are all broken and stuff. And there's that one <laughs> table that 
Will Smith courageously drags over and then he like passes the test. Yeah. I feel like interviews that are this bad are always some kind of like either they're performance art or there's some psychological experiment. <laughs> performance of, like, art. No, y- you were supposed to leave the interview and go hunt down a bagel and then you would have passed the first part. And the second part was you were supposed to like go over to the sales team and turn down their hip hop music <laughs> and take their gong back with you. And then you code the quiz. And then when you finish, you ring that gong. <laughs> every every time the dev team closes a ticket, they ring a gong. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We're now sales bros. <laughs> We're crushing it over here. <laughs> Uh. I just can't stop laughing. (laughs) You failed that interview the moment you didn't follow that recruiter who promised you a bagel. (laughs) It was a whole different interview if you had followed her. There was another team waiting (laughs) to interview her, to to interview you. Oh, and she just sighed sadly as you stayed in the room. Yeah. We lost another one. <laughs> we lost one. <sighs> okay, breathe, Dave. Breathe. All right. <sighs> question time. Let's help people. Okay. Whew. Okay, I'll read our first question. Okay. There's no bagels here, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, this comes from an anonymous listener who says... <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. If anyone sends in a story that can top that, I will just be so happy. We'll send you two stickers. That's right. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> okay. This question comes from an anonymous listener. It says, "We have been rapidly expanding. Occasionally, I am given a team of my own to complete a product or feature. My position as a lead isn't formalized. I am sent off to champion and coordinate developers without any managerial power i think this is a great opportunity for me unfortunately i find myself struggling with an internal balance of not dictating things to developers who are technically my direct peers and showing management my ability to lead and produce results do you have any advice about how to finesse this leader but not leader situation and general tips for first making this transition when you're not a senior developer love the podcast and thanks you're welcome. Have you tried creating a totem or item of ceremonial power <laughs> and just holding that? Like a conch? Yeah, or some kind of staff with like a cool crystal on the oh, end. Yeah. Or I guess uh, maybe maybe on the end would be like a smashed up old iPhone or something because it'd be <laughs> more, more techie related. But <laughs> it's sapphire. Some kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some kind of item that you just hold and then people automatically do what you say. Sounds like a way to get people's respect and authority. I I think that's called a gun, actually. (laughs) (laughs) There is one of those things. It's the threat of violence. It's not very ceremonious, but it works. (laughs) Yeah, don't don't do that. Hmm. So it sounds like they they mentioned transitioning when you're not a senior developer so they they are not a senior dev and there are no senior devs on their team um there there actually i trimmed out some stuff there are a couple of senior developers on the team uh who oh. are technically leading the team but but what the question says is that 
Um, occasionally, this person is given a team of, of their own to go complete a product or feature, but it's not formally assigned as a lead developer on that team. So, like, they're on a team. Yeah, I'm having a hard no time reconciling says, this because it says lead this team to get the feature done. They're just like, you work with these people, get this feature right. done. But it says, I am given a team of my own. And I don't know if that means it's just like the temporary sub-team that you're a member of, or if it's a temporary sub-team that you are responsible for and a member of. I don't know. I guess, yeah, I don't have a way to answer that. Yeah, I don't either. Let's let's assume that there's some degree of authority being given here, but it's not managerial and certainly... It wouldn't be recognized by the HR department who carries the staff of uh, managerial authority. Yes, they do have that. It's called the spreadsheet with everyone's salaries. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so it it sounds like, especially that last part about, I don't want to dictate things to people who are technically my peers, but I also want to get stuff done. It, it sounds like you believe that if you were a capital M manager or capital L lead, then you would have the power to dictate to your no longer peers what to do and they'd be they'd be fine with that because you would have the power. Right. And in my experience that's a real crappy way to work with people, not even just lead. It's also a crappy way to lead, but boy does it stink to work with someone like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I I would question your whole approach. I so when you are the lead or manager, you do have the responsibility to get stuff done in a way that doesn't fall on the rest of the team. But just turning that responsibility into a dictatorship on the team is a great way to make your team not like you and make smart people not work there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, I, I want to give the listener the benefit of the doubt as well, but I'm, I'm hearing this undertone like what you're saying, Jameson, the, the undertone being, if only management would bless me with the authority, then I could tell everyone what to do and not feel bad about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, like I feel bad telling them what to do now because they're my peers. Right. But I wouldn't, but but if only I could tell them what to do and have them not be my peers. Yeah, then it would be okay. And, and the big secret to leadership in engineering and maybe even everywhere else is that um, leadership is actually not about telling people what to do. It is about inspiring, supporting, and serving the people who you are responsible for, driving consensus within that group, and helping them achieve their goals, and uh, being the kind of leader that they want to follow, and that they want to, uh, that basically inspires them to do what they already know they need to do, <laughs> right? Um, not, yeah. I think nobody likes to work for a manager or lead who hands out tasks and orders and um, tells you to do the job their way because they said so and they are the one holding the badge. Yeah, and and that also just doesn't scale as well because if they're looking to you to tell them what to do, that means you have to know what everyone should be doing all the time and and you have to be so down in the details and, and micromanaging things that you can't do the broader things like... Uh, supporting the team like dave said um it it it's infuriating and and stressful and and also it just doesn't 
scale to larger teams and larger problems. It also doesn't scale along the dimension of your own professional growth because being a team lead might not be a destination for you. And if you get so caught up in the details of doing other people's jobs for them, you will never be able to grow to even the next level of responsibility for you. Yeah. So uh, I, I think this sounds like we're giving you the smackdown. But I think it's good news because the thing you should be doing is easier than the thing you want to do, (laughs) which is um, you should be helping the team decide stuff. I I think people that you work with in general have great ideas. and, And if you bring those ideas out and help the team agree on them, they will get things done faster and better than if you just say, this is the way we're doing it. Mm -hmm. Even if your idea in a vacuum is technically better, the fact that it's just being shoved down people's throats will make, there's a lot of ways you can make a good idea not work out. That's (laughs) right. Not deliberately or or inadvertently. Mm -hmm. Um, But ideas that come from the team that the team agrees on and likes are are easier to implement well. That's right. And... um... Everything we're saying right now, I think, applies not only in your position. Uh, In other words, without authority, you have to exercise these skills. But even once you do have that authority, you will still have to exercise these same skills. In fact, maybe even more so when you're in a position of authority because people will actually follow your ideas sometimes to their own detriment if your ideas aren't that great, (laughs) right? Yeah. I mean, I, I have seen this go down when I was at a previous job and had a position of authority and I I miscommunicated some ideas repeatedly by using a word that was ambiguous that I didn't realize was ambiguous. The word was prioritize. And I would say, okay, team, I'm handing you this bug to prioritize. And you can interpret that two ways. And about half the people in my organization interpreted it one way and half the people the other way. And that was about half thought it meant select an appropriate priority for this bug and fix it along with your other priorities. The other half of the people thought it meant make this a high priority and fix it quicker. Um, and <laughs> oh man, it was so bad for me because it was like all this time I thought I was telling them to select an appropriate priority. They interpreted it as something else and then they did it. Even though it was a bad idea, it wasn't even the idea I wanted them to do. <laughs> and so yeah, um, you have to exercise so much more care in how you lead and influence people once you do have that authority that practicing it when you don't have the authority is great. It's also just the way you work with peers. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it turns out. (laughs) Commanding your peers what to do inspires resentment. And I mean, smart people don't want to be told what to do. They want to come up with solutions together with other people. And, And if someone just tells them like, listen, you're not as smart as I am, do this thing, then then they'll just quit. And then suddenly you'll have people that only need to be told what to do because like, all the people that don't need to be told what to do will go somewhere it's else. It's natural selection. <laughs> yep. Sur- yeah. Survival of the most compliant. <laughs> yeah. If, if So that's kind of addressing the, the um, leading without leading side. But if we address the... Um, we can we can also talk about the other side, which is like you seem to feel some special responsibility towards getting stuff done that maybe the rest of the team doesn't. Okay. And and that might be leading you to try and like clamp down a little bit and take control a little bit more. I don't think it's bad that you feel more responsibility to get stuff done, no. but you just have the, I think you have to 
go with the harder solution, which is the better solution, which is don't let that responsibility turn you into a, a dictator. Because I don't think that will help get stuff done anyways. doesn't matter how many Steve Jobs biographies you read. Just like screaming at people for most people doesn't. <laughs> doesn't work very well. Yeah, unfortunately. I've tried. <laughs> Not that you're screaming at people, but... So can we go to um, how do you influence others without authority and talk about some techniques for that? I mean, one technique isn't really a technique. It's just be right a lot. <laughs> just establish trust with the team. Mm -hmm. And then you're still not saying, here's what we have to do. L listen up. Here's what we're going to do. You just say you use your experience and, and your reputation to, to lend weight to your suggestions, but you still bring suggestions to the team. I think in addition to making suggestions, it, it pays to take the time to explain why you think these are the right things to do. You know, do put actual weight behind it in the form of evidence that other people can relate to. I think sometimes things feel right to us as an engineer, but it's actually much harder to take that feeling and transmit it to someone else in a way that they can internalize as well. And so saying things like, I'd like to propose X for the following reasons. It will buy us X amount of value in this way. It will save us this much pain in this way. Um, and here are some bad things about my idea that I think are trade-offs we also need to be aware of as we're making this this decision, you know? And if you lay those things out for people, oftentimes in written form, uh, I think people will be more likely to follow you because they can see that you've thought it all the way through and then they can they can internalize your argument just like you have. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think a, a theme with that is you are, you're addressing people's concerns. You're not commanding them. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Also, you could promise to provide bagels and then disappear. I've heard that that might. <laughs> Conduct psychological warfare on your teammates. Mm -hmm. Maybe bring in a gong. <laughs> bring in a gong. Bring in two gongs. Mm -hmm. One gong is for bugs that get opened and the other one is for when they get closed. <laughs> uh, well, good luck. I mean, I, th I actually think that the fact that you're thinking this way bodes well for your future and i and i say that because what i see is someone who is responsible cares and is engaged and wants to do that um i think that not everyone is like that not everybody wants to be engaged at that level and so that's great i think it'll be a, a good opportunity for you i do think that you yeah. need to be super careful to not put too much weight on official authority that has to be given to you before you can start influencing others for good yeah I also, I want to just tell one quick story about a great technical manager that I had. Um, it was at my last job. I worked with a guy named Joel Dillon, who's the CEO of Kuali. Um, there were like, I don't know, not that many employees when this happened. So he was still a little bit in the weeds of managing this team. And we wanted to decide on a technology for uh, this new project that we were going to start. And it was basically like the boring established technology that we knew well and the fancy new, just insanely futuristic, yet also a little bit untested technology. And um, his approach to this was to just get the team in a room, uh, schedule an hour and have us all like talk it out. And we wrote down pros and cons and we talked about like what happens if the people who love it quit and then the mm. team is left with it. What happens if... Uh, but what about the effort it would save us if all these productivity benefits pay off? And and we just talked it out. 
and he expressed an opinion and then he said but that's my opinion and i i want you to take it as a member of the team not as what you should do the team is going to decide what you do and then just come back and tell me what you decide and so awesome. he kind of like led a discussion um we decided uh it turns out we made the wrong decision <laughs> and he, <laughs> and he let it happen for a while oh, wow. and and then we fixed it later and the wrong decision was not the decision he recommended but he was okay with it because he was he placed more value on the team deciding than on them doing what he so said so did when the when the team decided did he already know that was going to be or did he already believe that that would be a bad out, a bad decision yeah yeah yeah, oh, he was wow. like, I think you should do the other thing. So he let you go we completely like, nope, against nope, his will. We want to do, yeah, we want to do this thing. And he's like, okay, if you want to, you're, I mean, you're the ones who are going to do it. So it's your funeral. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. And it's since been, surprise, surprise, we chose the fancy new thing. And then it's since been rewritten in the boring mm-hmm, established thing. Mm-hmm. But let that be a lesson. There's a lot of lessons <laughs> I learned from that. But one of them was I could tell he was just like, raging inside to try and avoid telling us no you're not going to do that but he, and he successfully <laughs> did that <laughs> oh man like could you but see like his veins was, popping but he's smiling and like nodding politely <laughs> yeah 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 i don't know i know the kind of person joel is and and he he wants us to make the right decision but also he wants people to grow and learn and, mm-hmm. and have ownership mm-hmm. more than he wants them to make what he thinks the right decision wow. is a lot of the wow. time that might be my favorite just microcosm example mm-hmm. of of what i think great technical leadership is even though it involved the team making a stupid technical yeah, decision yeah. <laughs> it's still great so there, yeah. there's a wonderful book that i suggest to our listener and anyone who wants to be an engineering leader or frankly any leader for that matter it's called multipliers by liz wiseman and one of the attributes that she identifies as being a strong leader attribute is what they she calls a debate maker which is a leader's ability to get people to engage in an argument. And I don't mean like contentious fighting, but rather debating the merits of ideas with each other on their own grounds without having to like ultimately be the decision maker. And it sounds like Joel did a great job with this. Like he let the team come together. He let the team debate mm-hmm. the var- various ideas. And then ultimately they decided together, even though it was against his <laughs> his suggestion. Right. But the team debated yeah. it and and came up with their own idea, even though it turned out to be wrong. Yeah, I, I think the key was he valued the culture of engineering ownership and autonomy more than making what he thought the right decision was in this specific thing. And and that was a thing that is like written on the walls there and we talked about in meetings and stuff, but like it really happened there. Awesome. Um, so it was, it was cool to see. Cool. Question answered? Question answered. You want to read our next one? Yes, I will read the next question. Uh, this is from Antonin, who we answered questions from before. Good job asking good questions, Antonin. It probably means you have bad things happening in your life, so sorry about that. <laughs> is that the theme for <laughs> no every one, one of asks. our question askers? It's like <laughs> every single one of them is suffering in some horrible yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. No one's ever like, everything is fine. What should I do? <laughs> <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> good job. <laughs> All right. Antonin says how do you deal with burnout after an extended period of crunch time both as a company and as an individual at my job I just finished a six week sprint from hell and now I find myself unable to focus both at work and in my personal life I feel too burnt out to read code fun stuff or do anything productive and obviously to work I want to get back to my usual self but I'm struggling 
On top of that, my coworkers are feeling similarly. As an individual, what would my best bet be in terms of recovery? As a senior developer or de facto team lead, what would be the best thing I could do for my coworkers? Look, just binge watch Netflix until your eyes are just so bloodshot. You've been awake for 40 hours straight watching TV. And then I think you should feel better. So what you're suggesting is you burn out on being burnt out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you have a six-week Netflix sprint. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be so happy to get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think every year or two, I experience uh, some amount of burnout. And sometimes it results in me quitting, but sometimes it is just a thing I deal with and then, and then get over it. And I don't think I have like a hard and fast solution for it because if I did, I wouldn't experience it that regularly. But I know what helps me when I'm feeling that way. Um, one of the main things is I, I have to take on smaller things that are more easily like measurable and digestible. So when I'm not burnt out, I can take on these broad, undefined tasks like we need a new backend. Go figure out what it needs to do and how you're going to build it and build it. And when I'm feeling super burnt out, it's like go through and fix up all the styling errors in our <laughs> code base. Or like, it's, I don't know, there's a word I can't think of. Normalize? It's not normalize. Mm. Um, well, I don't know. Like the, the CSS is all weird. So we have like different paddings everywhere on all our buttons. Mm. Go go make those mm. consistent. Or consistent like fix consistentify that's the word uh or or like go take on a bunch of these small little bugs that are quality of life improvements but not like showstoppers you know they're not hard to fix but you'll there'll also be some measurable outcome and and doing this helps me feel like i'm still accomplishing things and providing value because if i don't do that then it kind of feeds into the burnout feeling of I can't get anything done and then I don't get anything done and then I think I can't get anything done and I don't get more done. So <laughs> yeah, it kind of spirals a little bit. So breaking out of that spiral helps a lot for me personally. Yep. Have you ever like taken a sabbatical or just some extended period of time? Just like a uh, more than just like a few days off? No, no, never in my life. And I actually, it's a thing I want to do. I'm I'm gonna do it um, this year, probably at the end of the year. I'm just gonna go like a month without doing any client work. Okay. Um, but no, I'm I'm horrible at disconnecting on vacations. I have a friend, coworker who I've known for about ten years, and about every four or five years, he takes like a twelve week vacation, just something crazy, you know. And he takes it as an opportunity to reassess what's important to him. Which happens naturally, by the way, when you disconnect from your regular routine, you start to realize that a lot of what you do is just following the day-to-day -day demands that get levied on you kind of incidentally. And he takes yeah. it as an opportunity to get more purposeful about what actually is important to him. And uh, so far, every time he's done this, he comes back and quits his job. <laughs> 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 so um don't you don't have to do that part i think but um it is a great way to take stock and kind of reboot but it, it also it's kind of uh it, it's kind of a blessing of the privileged not everyone can afford to just take 12 weeks off of their job um i, yeah. I couldn't even afford the health insurance to do that <laughs> let alone the yeah, time without yeah. income but um 
Anyway, it, it might be something you do. It's not something I've ever done, but man, when this guy reports to me what it was like when he got back, it's just like, it's like he's a whole new person with all these new ideas about what makes him happy and whole. Hmm. I think I've talked about this on the show, but we had a several months of crunch time at one of my earlier jobs and we worked with um, great people who after the crunch time recognized that the team needed some time to recover. Um, so we, we, I mean, we still came in, I think they just gave everyone a few days off right after the crunch time. And then when they came back in, um, when the team came back in, we basically decided that we would do a couple weeks of, of low stress <laughs> work basically. So we identified some refactoring things to do. We, it was basically the kind of work I talked about, like a lot of fixing up and cleaning up and, um, things that make the team feel better that aren't very stressful. Yeah. And I think that helped. Um, it was a pretty crappy time in the crunch time. I haven't had a time like that since, and I don't want to, but I don't have any lingering resentment over it. I feel like we were we were taken care of well after That's it. That's cool. One thing I found that works really well to get out of burnout at work without just quitting your job or taking a long vacation is to try to work on a greenfield project, something brand new. You don't have you know, all this brownfield legacy requirements to keep in mind. You can start fresh and try to, to deliver something from start to finish um, for you and your team. I mean, the question asker says for me and my, my company, and I have found that that can be totally rejuvenating just to start over from scratch mm. on something brand new. So maybe are you thinking kind of like a hack week thing where you just take uh, a week, so make a new project no, or just a no, new I, business? I actually project. think hack weeks can be detrimental uh, to the burnout problem. Um, I have, because um, he specifically mentioned that he's having a hard time focusing, I've actually, so I've done five hack weeks in one per year for the last five years. And after each one, I found the team had a really hard time recovering their focus afterwards. It, it took several weeks uh, to get back into the groove. And no, so I don't think a hack week. I think what you should do is embark on a new project, Greenfield, if it's possible. I bet it's not. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, that sounds nice if you can do it. I think that if if you're a leader and you know that your team is having to go through a crunch time, one way to orchestrate the recovery from the crunch time is to try to schedule things so that after the crunch you can focus on building something new and exciting. Yeah. Although maybe it was a new and exciting project that led to the crunch time in the first place, so <laughs> <laughs> that could backfire. Yeah. I think also as a leader just acknowledging that burnout is a thing and people are feeling it helps a lot because some people might be suffering silently and just feeling miserable mm -hmm. and feeling like there are all these uh, expectations that they're now not meeting. Yep. But acknowledging that the team needs some time to recover and 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 demonstrating that through vacation or uh, or whatever your personal techniques are for dealing with yeah. it, I think that could help a lot. So I don't deal well with burnout um, generally, but I do have two techniques that I use to fight it. Uh, the first technique that I've used and is not what I recommend because it actually sucks a lot is quitting your job. And <laughs> I know that we joke a lot on this podcast about how quitting your job is like the universal answer, but if you have a decent job, you're just burned out, quitting your job actually really sucks. And after yeah. quitting my job, sometimes I look back and I go, I was burned out. And frankly, if I could have just taken a few weeks off, I would be fine now. But now I have to start this whole new job and build rapport with my new team and so on and so on. 
So I actually don't recommend quitting your job unless it's chronic burnout that is clearly baked into this job. Um, the second thing I do is regular exercise where uh, it, it, I don't mean just go out and like burn a bunch of energy. I mean, make it a consistent part of your day every day. Uh, for me, it, I ride my bike to and from work and it makes a huge difference to my personal well-being. Huh. I would ride my bike to work if I were being chased by animals and <laughs> there was a bike and that was the only <laughs> way I could escape them. <laughs> But I do exercise and it helps a lot. Mm -hmm. um, just in general, taking care of myself helps and not taking care of myself exacerbates burnout. So if I go home and play video games all night and like cram down several packages of Oreos, which I can do, <laughs> <laughs> uh, surprise, surprise, I work less effectively oh, and I'm less focused afterwards. I also resort to stupid video games sometimes when I'm feeling burned out and it just makes me feel worse. Yeah, yeah. So, well, what kind of... Let's dig into this. What kind of video games do you play? You said they're stupid. I only play one, and it's League of Legends. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's perfect, because it's basically the same as Dota, mm -hmm. and when you win, you get this, like, fake high, but then even after you're done and you win, you're like, I feel like I have accomplished a thing, but what is different in my life now <laughs> oh i have negative one hours <laughs> and then when you lose your team is all yelling at you oh, and they're fighting with each other and it's just like this cesspit of misery cesspit. and despair <laughs> and and um that is not on the list of things that helps with burnout. oh it's not okay good i i yeah i was confused about just that <laughs> wallow in it you know what my secret is to avoiding burnout i just dive into it dive into the burnout <laughs> into the cesspool. yeah just luxuriate in the misery so these these video games have you said you get a high from them when you win but i don't get that what i get is i think oh it's Dave, over you need to get better well, at like it no <laughs> like when i win it's like oh because you know these games are designed to like addict you into leveling up your character and then you're like, oh, but I, just, I didn't get to buy that last item to really max out my, my hit, my uh, attack damage, right? <laughs> hmm. I always feel like I'm, I'm like, I got to play another game because I didn't get to max out my level. Anyway, you know they're designed that way, Interesting. right? To just make you have these obsessive responses to them. Um, I think Dota is designed to make you spend money on its cosmetic items. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and it works. <laughs> It's, did you know it's a free game? And mm -hmm. also, the average amount of people of money that people who spend money on it is way more than what it would cost to buy like a regular expensive video game. Uh -huh. There you go. So with that done, <laughs> we've solved burnout. <laughs> solved. I think the fact that people talk about burnout so much means it is a tricky problem to solve. Mm -hmm. um, and there probably aren't really easy solutions to it. I know yeah. that uh, when you were talking about quitting your job and how that's a bad solution to it, it reminded me of this blog post I read by this guy named Jameis Buck, who was, he might be like the first programmer that I learned about and looked up to. Mm -hmm. um, he worked at 37 Signals for a while and he wrote really openly about burnout and it, and it cost him his job. Like 37 Signals worked very hard to keep him and to make him happy, but mm -hmm. in the end he just if you just don't do anything for a long time, you can't just sit there and get paid. Um, so he had to quit and then he kind of went on this journey of self-discovery and it was a long process for him to recover from it. Hmm. But it was it was painful and it was hard. 
I'll uh, I'll link that in the show notes because it's a really good read. And also, did it James have a happy awesome. ending? Yeah, it had a happy ending. He's kind of like found his happy place again. He he actually dove into maze generation <laughs> after he quit his job. <laughs> so that's your just, uh, burnout cure. <laughs> um, Generate mazes. No, but it was for him. He. He, he ended up writing a book about generating mazes in code and it became pretty popular. And it was just like this cool technical thing that he learned about that he wouldn't really have done without the experience. It's it's an interesting okay. read. That's cool. Yeah. All right. Question answered. Question answered. Where can people Dave, go if they want to ask Where people go if they want... <laughs> no! Jinx. They go to softskills.audio. There's a new fancy button on our website. I haven't even seen it. I should go look at it right now. But Dave, I saw the poll request. Mm-hmm. Dave made a new thing and ask a question link at the very top. Yep. And by the time this comes out, Jameson will have read it, approved it, and merged it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, did I not merge it yet? <laughs> not yet. Okay. Well, it'll exist. It'll be better. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is because I haven't looked at it yet. It's one, but we're, there we're is saving a way you for one you. click now. Okay, cool. It's just a link that takes you to the form. Yes. Uh, I did, and I did you some can give us as much or as user experience analysis to save you one click. It turns out that two clicks is more than one click. Mm-hmm. And we have learned that. <laughs> um, you can give us as much or as little detail as you like. We can keep you anonymous. We can uh, give you, give us, okay, ask a question that's really embarrassing and then and then say, I want to be known as, and then insert your enemy's name there. <laughs> help i keep wetting my pants in the middle of a meeting (laughs) from steve and then you just like snort and giggle while we read it and talk about steve's pants wetting problem um okay or ask a serious question we'll answer it if you like this show please share it with people we we love getting new listeners new listeners means there's a wider variety of experience in questions and feedback we get on the questions and so we love that cool all right thanks Yeah, we'll catch you next week.